whether or not we all realize it, those of us who serve the Lord are participating in the most epic adventure of all time, space, and history. I think it's about time that we start celebrating the miraculous and wonderful ways that God touches our lives in everyday circumstances. I'm Karen Pennington, and this is Daily Adventures in Grace. Good morning, friends. This is Karen Pennington here. And the four most dreaded, dreaded words of my childhood, I'm sure you've heard them, were this. Because I said so. Because I said so. I couldn't stand those words as a young, young child. I just felt that it was inappropriate that my parents told me that. I was one of those. (laughs) I didn't have the understanding, but I had a decent vocabulary, I guess, as a child. I just... I I always wanted to know why. I always wanted to talk things through. I always felt like I should have a voice at this table. And uh, sometimes I didn't get one. I can remember being at the park and my mom saying, put a jacket on. And I said, why? And she said, because I said so. And I thought, well, I just asked you a question and you evaded it. Um, It didn't matter to me that, you know, the temperature had dropped to 40 degrees and, you know, I was just wearing shorts and a tank top and, um, what mattered to me is my I deserved an explanation and I was running off and I just and my mom, you know, do the dishes. Why? Because I said so. And oh, it bothered me. I felt it was so inappropriate. I felt I deserved a seat at this table. I felt, you know, let's let's talk this through, mom. Let's reason this. And um, I guess in a sense, I saw myself as an equal to my mother and. Let's be honest, that's not true. I, I was an equal in terms of our standing in the kingdom of God, that sort of thing. But my mother had an authority over me and my father had an authority over me. And there was a reason for that. They were older. They were smarter. <laughs> they had lived life. They paid the bills. And they just had wisdom that I didn't understand yet. And um, I swore I'd never say that to my daughter. I swore I'd never do that. The four word mantra of tyranny, the mantra of tyranny, because I said so. Well, I can't remember if I ever kept that promise, but I sure got close to breaking it. I I think I might have said it, broke down and said it once or twice, because, you know, as a parent, you get to those points where just something needs to be done. We're about to leave the house. We're in a hurry. Allie, put your goat on. That's not when you need to have a conversation about the merits of not freezing in the cold. You just need your daughter to put their goat on. You know? <laughs> um, do the dishes because they're piled up and we need to eat dinner and we can't eat them if you didn't you didn't do them already do them you know uh don't play in the middle of the road you don't want their your kids sitting in the middle of the road <laughs> while you're asking them <laughs> while you're having the conversations of the merits of not getting hit by a car there are just times where when someone's an authority you have to take them at their word and just do what they say sometimes you may not even like it um, I can think of a few regulations. Um, we won't go there, but in my in our society today, that I just I don't like them. I don't know if they're needed or not, but I certainly don't like them. And if it was up to me, I wouldn't do them. But because the government says so, and it's not going against God's will, I need to do it. Um, but so I can kind of understand both sides of the coin. I understand as an authority who's trying to keep someone safe why sometimes it's important that you just do it because they say 
as much as I love a good conversation, as much as I want children to inquire and think, think things through, there's a thing we've lost in this society, I think, where it, it's great to have a voice. It's great to talk things through. But there are times where you just need to follow the person in authority because they are in authority. And when you have good leaders, all the more trust your leaders. You, I, I, we love the leadership at our church. They are not perfect, but they are mature and they are anointed and they think things through. And we give them our opinions. But in the end, we have to trust that God has anointed them to lead the church. So the decisions they make about things have to be things that we respect and follow. And how much more is this true when God says something? And yet we still argue. <laughs> Maybe we don't do it the same way. We have these mature theological words. Um, but we still argue. We still put things off. We still keep from doing what God says we could do. As frustrated as I get with children when you're like, just do it. You know, just just do it. I just asked you to do something. That's all that needs to be said. Do it. How much more with God? And I, every time I read the story of Gideon in the book of Judges, this is what I see. I see, I see this child who's arguing for no good reason and the crazy thing is i'm seeing a child gideon and himself saw let's let's face it he saw a loser and himself and a coward and that's not who god saw at all god knew those things were there but god saw something deeper in him than he saw in himself and i just <laughs> it's a wonderful story and i think i have to give a quick synopsis because it it's so rich there's so many details in it and um so the people of Israel messed up again. I think we talked a little bit about Deborah and the victory through JL a few days back um, where they had defeated their enemies. And then there was peace for 80 years. Well, so what happened in the book of Judges is that there was peace. God would grant them victory. And then they would forget about God again because things got easy. So they'd forget who was giving them victory, who was giving them peace, who was feeding them. And they would just do whatever they wanted. They would they use the word prostitution of themselves often, but they literally would sometimes prostitute themselves. They definitely um, bowed down to other gods. They did whatever they wanted. And so they were stepping out of God's will. When you step out of God's will, you step out of God's protection. Because it's like God has this great gated community and, you know, I guess that this thing, this is beautiful thing. And if you're walking out into the wilderness, you can't expect <laughs> to be within that protection. And, um, you're walking out into the dungeon or the, or the jungle. You can't expect that you're going to be protected there because that's not where you're supposed to be, you know. So they kept going where they were not supposed to be. And so once again, they were delivered into the hands of, this time, the Midianites. Um, they said seven years. And they said the power of Midian was so oppressive. It was so oppressive. They prepared caves for themselves. They prepared shelters and caves. They were ready to flee I mean, this was really bad. They said that the Midianites came like locusts. There were just so many of them, so many of them. Anytime they would plant crops, anytime that they would, you know, raise livestock, the Midianites would just come through like locusts. Now, this picture of locusts, they said locusts can, they're only six inches long, but they can come in swarms just 
utter blackness, shoulder to shoulder, wing to wing, of up to 460 square miles. Now, I did a little bit of math here. They said there's 40 to 80 million locusts in less than a half a mile. So a really big swarm of locusts would be 36 trillion, 800 billion locusts. That's the most conservative estimate. So they would just come and, and now mind you, the highest number that said in the Bible, I believe is 2 million. They talk about 2 million times something time. If they want it bigger than that, they said multiplied times something, times something. But so this was more than they could even conceive. But they're basically saying is there's more of them we could see. And so they prepared these rocks that they could go, these caves they could live in just to get away from them. And God chose somebody to deliver the people from the Midianites, not because they deserved it, but because God is just really good. And so he goes to Midian. Here's his mighty warrior. He said, <laughs> I say mighty warrior. So the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah. This is um, Judges 6, 11. That belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in the wine press to keep it from the Midianites. So as he came to Gideon, see, wheat is something you're supposed to thresh out in the open, but he was afraid. So he goes to somebody who's hiding and secretly preparing his wheat because he's hiding from the enemy. And when he sees him hiding, he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Okay. Now, so God, an angel of the Lord, which means basically a representative of God came to see in this passage, they said angel of God and God kind of interdependent. So basically the presence of God was with him and he said, the Lord is with you. And basically um, Gideon's reply is, no, he's not. <laughs> I just hear a teenager. The Lord is with you. No, he's not. He said, the Lord has abandoned us. Verse 13, verse 14, he said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? You're strong enough. I've given you the strength so that you can do this task. I, God, have given you the strength so you can do this task. And Gideon says, no, I can't. <laughs> yeah. How can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the least in my family. And he's just, I'm nothing. I'm nothing. Somebody had to tell him this. You don't say I'm nothing. I'm weak. My clan is the weakest. Um, we're just, we have no power. You, you don't say that unless you've been told that. So um, I'd be with those children that are raised in families that tell them they're nothing. Um, and then God said, listen, I will be with you and you will strike down the Midianites. Now at this point in the conversation as a parent, I'm like thinking, Gideon, I have told you three times now, I am God. I'm God. You're arguing with God. I'm saying that this is going to happen. And Gideon I'm telling you, you're mighty. And Gideon is being like, no, no, you're wrong, God. <laughs> you're wrong. And so he said, I'll be with you. And so Gideon does a little stall tactic. He's like, wait here. I'm going to go make a sacrifice. See if he's around. So Gideon makes the sacrifice. He puts it all in front. And he said, and the angel of the Lord said, pour the broth on the sacrifice. Now, pouring the broth on the sacrifice, something that's wet is harder to set on fire. You know, so something that's wet. I mean, you can still start the fire and everything, but you're not going to set that on fire. So the angel of the Lord touches it 
And this wet sacrifice, not only, it's not just that the fire came below it, the actual sacrifice um, consumed the meat, like that. You know, this happened a little bit with Elijah. So not only was there this fire from heaven, basically, that came down, but the meat was gone like that. Now, if you would have cooked the meat from underneath, it would have been sure. I mean, it was basically absolutely no question that this was the hand of God. And he's going, it's kind of like God saying, you're questioning that I can do this in you? And so Gideon, at this point, who has now argued with God three times, goes, um, ah, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And what he basically was saying is, last, what was me? Because people thought if they saw God, they were dead. He's like, oh, I'm a dead man. <laughs> and I, if I were God, and I'm not, it's a good thing I'm not. Because I'd be like, how many times have I told you I'm with you? I'm telling you, I'm, I'm showing you I can do this, Gideon. And you're still saying, oh, no, I must be in trouble. It's like if you go to the principal's office and the principal's like, I'm giving you a special award. Oh, I'm awful. I'm giving you a special award. I'm going to tell your parents. You're telling my parents I'm going to get grounded. You know, it's like, how thick can you be? And so then the Lord says, no, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. So he gives him a little task. He says, tear down this altar of Baal. Use it to build an altar to me. I think it was an Asherah pole. And so Gideon finally does a little bit. He does it at night, though. Still not quite seeing the coward thing. He does it at night and then um, he still doesn't die. They wanted to kill him, but God sent through the words of his father, Joash, that he was protected. And so he's given him a word from the Lord. He's given him a sign from the Lord. He's given him reassurance after, I mean, the very presence of God in a physical and like a being that he could see. So he didn't have to question, is this thing in front of me? And the... Gideon still questions after all that. He said to God, if you'll save Israel by my hand as you've promised. Um, this is verse 36 now. Look, I'll place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I'll know that you save Israel by my hand, that you will save Israel by my hand. If you said, then let's back up. Verse 36. If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised. Since when does God go back on his promises? He just answered his own question. If you're going to do it like you said you were going to do it. So what do you think? God's a liar. And so God does it. He says, okay, wait, one more request. It's like he's trying to outmaneuver God. Okay. Let the fleece be dry and the ground covered with dew. So this is an impossible request, right? Except for he's asking God. <laughs> and so he does it and... I mean, how many different ways do you have to question God when he asks you to do something, you know? Now, that said, this was a pretty difficult thing he was asking. Um, crunched a few numbers, and it seems that this locust Midianite army, they were well-trained, they were the conquerors, they were the ones that kept the order, for themselves at least, and it, the amount of soldiers that came against the Israelites in that battle that, that ensued following chapter was 135,000 soldiers 135,000 soldiers so I thought this was great Gideon saying there is no way God that with our untrained weak clan Manasseh it wasn't even a full tribe it was a half tribe because it was from the children of Joseph who was one of the tribes of Israel and his half tribe 
not really known for anything much of anything and not known as the mighty warriors um hiding in caves you know hiding their crops just defeated over and over and over and over again and he's like there is no way i can defeat these people with my men and so he goes he is he starts with 32,000 men. So the Midianites have 135,000 men and Gideon has 32,000 men. So, you know, I, I can kind of understand why one might be intimidated when he's saying, um, I know I'm a coward. I've been told I'm worthless my whole life. We're untrained. There's not enough of us. These people are going to kill us. They're going to kill us. And so he said, okay, God, I still don't think there's enough. There's Gideon had 32,000 men to start with to go after 135,000 men. So we're talking about over four times as many trained people to their untrained people who all think they're worthless. And I can't do this with 32,000 men. And, um, <laughs> and God says, you're right. 7-2. You have too many men. <laughs> you're right. You can't defeat the Midianites with 135,000 men. I mean, I'm sorry, you can't divide 135,000 men with 32,000 men. You can't do it. Let the ones who want to go home, go home. Well, it turns out that they must have really have been scared because Gideon said, if you want to go home, go home. 22,000 of that 32,000 left. <laughs> so they didn't want to be there. Over two-thirds left. And, and then he broke it down even more. So God's like, you're right. You're not going to beat the mighty army of 135,000 with 32,000 men. You're going to defeat the mighty army of 135,000 with 300 men. Okay. So maybe I'm starting to get why Gideon was so resistant. So guess what happened? Gideon defeated an army of 135,000 men with three hundred men and here's how he got empowered after god told him over and over and over again you know set the i mean set the drenching sacrifice on fire consumed it he came to him in person he reassured him over and over again did the miracle of the dew he saved his life even after he built the altar and everybody wanted to kill him because he tore down the asherah pole it was when gideon heard what his enemies were saying. I had a dream, said it was saying, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And then the friend, this is the other enemy friend, um, said it's nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Josiah, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hand. And then it said, this is 715, when Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israelites and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into our hands. <laughs> you think? <laughs> it takes somebody that you don't even know, talking about what they think might happen, for you to believe that God said what God said. So this coward, lowly person, or so he thought, who thought nothing of himself, who thought really nothing of God, <laughs> thought that God had abandoned him, who would not believe. <laughs> he became a mighty warrior. He defeated, I mean, what else in history? 135,000 men with 300 men. He did it very cleverly too. 
or rather God did, but through his hand. And why? Because God said so. (laughs) Because when God says you're something, you're something. When God says you're supposed to do something, you're supposed to do something. When God says he's going to be with you, he's going to be with you. Um, We spend a lot of time questioning that. I spend a lot of time questioning that. Particularly when God calls me to apologize. Sometimes I have to fight a little bit. When God calls me to do something that will be hard work or difficult or maybe on a day I want to rest to do something else. Maybe on a day when I want to do something else to rest. But I'm just thinking if God can use this reluctant hero If God can use someone who thinks so low of himself, and quite frankly of God, that even in the face of some very clear signs and the very palpable presence of God right in front of his face, he'll still keep arguing. How relentlessly does God pursue us? And how much could God do with a nation, a person, a congregation, anyone, anything, who's ready to just say, you know what, God? Okay. And I don't always have to understand. I'm going to do it. I'm going to believe it. No matter how I feel, no matter what I want this moment. And know that that's what's best for me. And know that that's who I am. Because you say so. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your logic. God, I know I love to understand. I love to understand. And there's nothing wrong with understanding. But I get addicted to it, God. I want to know the reasoning. I want to sit down and have a conversation. And sometimes that's not appropriate. Help me to be in submission to the earthly authorities you've put over me insofar as that allows me to submit to you. Help me to know when to take a stand in your name by your authority and help me to rest in the fact that you have things under control, Lord Jesus. If you're calling me to fight something, just confirm it in my heart and help my heart not to use I don't understand or I'm not sure as a reason to put off doing what you would have me do. Thank you for the example of Gideon, not in who he was, but in who you were with him. Thank you for what you do in us, sometimes even despite ourselves. But God, I want you to do the most that you can in me, and I want your full blessing. I don't want to live in fear. Gideon feared. I don't need to live in fear because you're my God, and you're the God of everything. And I can trust you. We can all trust you, God. Guide us. Equip us. Remind us. Give us the faith to believe that we are who you say we are. Amen. Amen. Be blessed, my friend.